you really can do anything that you want to do. It won't be easy. And also, and I want to say this, you are not the keeper of time. We love to think we can control time. We love to make spreadsheets and timelines and calendar dates and five-year goals and three-year goals and whatever. And that's cute. And that's ideal. You know, you should do it. It's a good exercise to do, but it does not have anything to do with your reality. It just helps you think, you know? (laughs) And so I just want to say, if anybody's listening and they're like, whoa, how do I do that? How do I get there? How do I... You know, you have a dream in your heart. You want to start something. You want to do something disruptive. Like doing something disruptive starts with disrupting yourself. Just stop it. The -the run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with arrows in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above, They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet, they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest has been disrupting for over a decade. Actually, I think it's longer than that. She's a digital business consultant and has helped companies with great vision articulate their mission, purpose, and strategy to funders and partners, helping close millions in funding for small businesses. Her angle, she's always bet on the underdog and won. We're talking to her today because she's disrupting the status quo in the beauty e-commerce industry from a totally unique perspective. Guess what? I didn't know this. The majority of the U.S. has curly hair. I wonder what that is globally. But today's underdog that she's betting on are hair entrepreneurs. Coming to us live from Boulder, Colorado, please welcome our disruptor, co-founder and CEO at Crown Hunt, Stephanie LaFlora. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. I am so interested in this because we interview a lot of tech disruptors, but we haven't interviewed any entrepreneurs in this particular space. So I'm so interested in this. And before we actually get into this whole thing about hair entrepreneurs and curly hair and what you're doing in this space, I'd like for you to tell our listeners, what is your fundamental ingredient for disruptive innovation? Yeah, I love that question. I think that disruption in 2023 has some key ingredients. I think that one of those ingredients is consideration of the larger population. We've had a huge shift, particularly since 2020, around inclusion. And inclusion isn't just a cute little kitsch thing. It's actually, first of all, because this is what people care about, it is economically pretty convincing. It's also obviously from a heart perspective, something that makes people feel seen, makes people feel included, and is very good for the human condition. 
But I also, in general, believe that including folks and having a company that considers its impact is a huge deal. We've had a very individualistic society for a long time. I would say, you know, we're 400 years in the making as this country, and we're pretty much 400 years in the making of individualistic ideals. But even though we have been able to persevere in a lot of ways as a nation with some of these ideas, there's also a lot of things that are happening around the world that have created better family structures, that have created better social economic structures for like entrepreneurs being able to bud and grow that are unique and different and not so individualistic. And so I think that when we consider our impact on the earth, when we consider our impact on different communities of different social economic statuses and different ethnicities, all of a sudden we unlock a whole new world of possibility that we haven't been able to really unlock because our history as a human population, at least in modern society, has been one where we worry about just ourselves and not the collective. And I think we're starting to understand what could we do as a collective with modern ideas and modern technology. I love that. I absolutely love that. And, you know, you said something that was really key. I'm going to paraphrase it a bit. But we have seen a catalyst since 2020 of technology and new ideas that are creating opportunities and accessibility for groups that have typically been underserved, right? There's been this pent-up demand from many groups, not having access to certain things, not having transparency, not having the ability to be included. And this pent-up demand, it just like boiled over. And COVID, I guess, was the catalyst, right? But it is actually very true. But I've never heard anybody of all the disruptors that I have interviewed talk about inclusivity as part of their fundamental ingredient for disruptive innovation. I think it is a new idea, you know, especially in terms of an economic idea. But when you look at it, it makes sense. So Crown Hunt was born out of the hunt for the crown, came up with this as I was trying to get my hair styled in a new city that I lived in. I had been recruited by a tech company and I didn't know anybody. So it was like totally new, no contacts. And so I was making hair appointments in my town to get my hair styled. I have a coily Afro textured hair and I was just trying to get a wash and blow dry. So just to be clear, it wasn't anything that was particularly ethnic style or anything like that. It was just standard hairstyling. I got rejected from five salons in that process. I made the appointment. I showed up. I came to the lobby. They told me they looked at my hair. They said, I'm sorry, we cannot do your hair. I ended up in a conversation with one of the owners and they told me that they were not actually trained on how to style my hair texture in cosmetology school. After some research, I found out that that was true across the board. And so when we talk about what does it mean to be disruptive, it means to consider the unconsidered, I think is one of the things. And sometimes people think like, oh, the unconsidered must be niche, right? Because And that's logical. Like, just to be fair, it's logical to think that the things that weren't considered must be niche, therefore economically slightly less favorable, because otherwise, if it was favorable, people would do it. Not true. 65% of the population in this country has curly hair. 
Yeah, I found that to be fascinating. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that. Now, do a lot of people straighten their hair? So, yes. So people always ask this, like, well, if that's true, then how come, like, I don't see it? How come, you know, what? why would the industry ignore this, blah, blah, blah? Well, the answer to that is that we've had a standard of beauty, because I want to make sure I call out there's several categories. We have a standard of beauty. We've had a standard of professionalism that has actually equal straight hair. And so for this in, for many years, decades, people, no matter what their hair texture was, no matter what their ethnicity was, have straightened their hair because that was the way they felt confident they can get the job. Wow. I want to I want to specify it's not just professionalism. It was also the beauty standard. And that found its way into like romantic relationships and stuff. So every incentive was there for a person to straighten their hair. And I'm not trying to say that straightening hair is bad because I do not believe in that. I think every person should be able to wear their hair however they want. I do too. For the folks who want to wear their hair the way it grows out of their head, they should feel welcome in the workplace and they should feel beautiful. Right. And so those people were not able to feel that way for a very long time. So my story, even like when I had this conundrum, who's going to style my hair? Remember, I was looking for a wash and blow dryer. Remember, I had natural curly hair. So what was I trying to do? I was trying to straighten my hair for work. Recruited to a tech company. I was the first black person at my company. I'm showing up as this brown person who's never showed up in this space before. And I'm thinking that I need to figure out how to be more palatable for my audience. More acceptable, more real, more, yes. Everybody wants to feel like they're part of something, right? Just feel like, I think it was more about, I had been trained to feel like this is the standard. In this community where this is the standard, I wasn't able to get the services I needed to meet that standard. Okay, I'm just really curious. What happened after five rejections? What'd you do? First of all, I wore my hair curly to work, coily. So I wore my afro to work, which I had never worn before to work. Were you freaked out? I was pretty nervous, honestly, because I wasn't sure how people would accept me. I had been, and this sounds so crazy to me now, like 10 years later, but at the time it was like pretty standard, like you don't seem professional. You don't seem well kept. You don't seem, there's like a pretty privilege, let's be real, in corporate America. And so, you know, you're trying to like play that. And that doesn't really play into coily, curly hair a lot of times because there's still a beauty standard that straight hair is preferred. At least it has been in the past. And so I was trying to play into all of that. I was trying to just come in with like the least amount of resistance possible, like any person who's entering a field. Also, I was like very young. And so I was trying to do all that. So what I did was I wore my hair curly and I started to experience that. I also found a stylist. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you could do my hair and I started wearing, you know, like I, I eventually did find someone who could do my hair and then they did a great job patient i'm gonna shout her out real quick patient in denver is like the best braider ever genuine african hair braiding she does like the braids for like all the athletes in this in denver and she's tremendous love her that's beautiful so you actually said you started to look into this like you said wait a minute this is not okay 65 percent of the people in the u.s have curly hair when did you start to realize that this was an area 
for disruptive innovation? So my background's in tech. I was recruited again from a tech company and my expertise is marketing. So I was used to going into markets that, and with the particular company I worked for, we typically went into markets that had not really leveraged technology yet. And we were looking at the data in that market to figure out which markets are most ripe for technology yet haven't quite leveraged it yet. And so that was something that I did every day at work. So when I saw this problem, I was immediately like my brain started like going off because it was like, this is what I do every day at work. But it's way more personal than anything I've ever done before because it's curly, coily hair, which has a huge cultural impact, which I care a lot about. But then also it's like in my city and like there was just a lot there that was personal. And I was like, I think there's a huge opportunity there. But then what really like cemented it was I got a cohort together of hairstylists and hair educators, particularly in curling coily hair. So curl specialists and hair product creators. And I got a cohort of them together to map out, literally map out what are all the gaps within the hair industry from their perspective. And there were many. That is what made me say, not only is there an opportunity here to help a consumer find a stylist who can actually handle curls, there's actually a ton of opportunity here in a lot of different aspects of this journey, of the consumer journey of getting your hair for that are not at all like supported by modern technology or a great user experience. And so that's what made me realize that the opportunity was here was massive and it was worth putting my energy into it for the long haul. That's awesome. So tell me more about hair entrepreneurs. Are these the hairdressers? You said I would take 1 million or more hairdressers that need to be trained on this phenomena. Is that right? Yeah. So there's a little over a million hair stylists in the country and one out of 10 of them have been taught on how to style curly, coily hair. Oh, yeah. So 90% of them don't know. That's correct. Yeah. And that's because when you look at the major cosmetology schools like Aveda or Paul Mitchell, they literally did not have that curriculum that they were teaching in any way that mattered until 2021. So 2020 was a unique year in a million ways, but it also unlock this awareness in all kinds of industries and industry leaders around how to include people and why inclusion was necessary. And the hair industry was no different. Like the hair industry had a similar awakening of like, oh, who haven't we included? And in that space, in that moment in time, they also recognized that they hadn't included curly, coily hair. So in 2021, So that's like a year later, they had built the curriculum out. And that's when they really started launching their curly, coily hair curriculum as part of their education. But prior to that, there's a million people who were active as hairstylists that had graduated from their programs and others that had never received that education. Got it. That's a lot. It's a lot. So this is not only the current hairdressers that are making a living, but you're actually undercutting in this and going to the cosmetology schools. Is that right? So again, the Paul Mitchells and the Aveda. So like, are those um, most of the cosmetology schools? Is that where they're like? They're the ones that have the largest chain. So each of them have about a hundred schools each. And then there's a bunch of independent schools. And a few of those independent schools have a few locations, but in general, the franchise school model 
it's really owned by both of those two huh. in the US. And then there's a few others that are there. So to answer your question, those entities did start adding curly hair curriculum to their education in 2021. So where we came in and was showing up for the million stylists that never received it ever at all. And they have clients who have converted from straightened hair. So chemically straightened hair was, we asked the question of, okay, well, people felt the pressure to straighten their hair. What did they do? Well, a lot of people with curly, coily hair has chemically straightened their hair for decades prior to this. I'm one of those people. And that chemical straightener made it so that when we showed up to the salon, our hair was already straight. We had basically gotten rid of our curls in order to be palatable to the American public, but also to be an easier client, honestly, in some ways for the stylist. So what happens when those people start to change and they are not chemically straightening their hair anymore? What, what do you do? So that's where Crown Hunt comes in because we have created this curriculum that's really a core fundamental curriculum for the stylist who is looking to figure out what to do and how to care for curly clients. And we have cutting classes, we have color classes, we have general care classes, and we also have some business classes. Those are the main things left out of cosmetology school that someone can actually take and get those fundamentals to be able to care for their clients, either who are curly and walked in the door that way, or a lot of people have clients who have been curly customers, but they didn't really have to deal with those curls because they have been chemically straightening their hair. To not chemically straighten their hair anymore, what do you do when like so much of your population has done that? And to give you a perspective in like how dramatic the shift has been, the chemical straightener industry has declined by like over 30%. So like there's a ton of decrease in using these products that would chemically straighten someone's hair. So even the clients who like, if you look at a typical stylist who had a bunch of would-be curly clients prior to like, let's say 2020, over the last 10 years, like 50% of those clients have changed how they wear their hair. So their hair textures changed. So what do they do? So yeah, maybe they went to Aveda, maybe they went to Paul Mitchell and those schools now offer those classes. Well, they're not in school anymore. But what do they do? And that's where the Crown Hunt shows up to like really support these stylists who are in practice today, have clients, and are trying to figure out what do they do about their clients changing hair textures as the climate, as the culture, because it's really a cultural change, honestly. But as the culture has changed towards embracing natural, embrace, and you see it everywhere, right? Like it's not just hair, like hair is one category, but you see it in like fashion and bikini ads and all these things like people are embracing curvier bodies. People are embracing stretch marks. People are embracing all these more natural things about the body and everything else. And hair is part of that. Like, and I think 2020 was this crazy chaotic and not great but also beautiful in its own way moment where people were just like, I am who I am. And I'm not going to continue to create excuses for that. Like I'm happy about it. You know, it's almost like people had to become who they were because they were locked in their homes and they didn't have access to certain things. And then they realized they were happier. And listen, I'm not saying we were happier during the pandemic. <laughs> yes, I'm okay. not saying that, but, but there were things they were like, why am I doing this? Like, yeah. 
I'm not happy doing that. I don't want to go back to that. I mean, that's been anything, right? From the way you wear your hair to the way you dress to like going to like remote workforce to you name it, right? Like, why am I doing this? You know, it's really very interesting. As you've been talking, I've been thinking about my girlfriends that actually have curly hair. My girlfriend in college, curly hair. My CMO, curly hair. Talk about, you know, it's such a bitch to like cut my hair, right? Another girlfriend of mine, right? Curly hair. Another girlfriend of mine. And I'm starting to think that I haven't really even noticed that. But just the conversations about how much trouble they've had with curly hair. One of my strategists, curly hair, right? And it's so very interesting that 90% of these hairdressers really don't have the skill set and that you're shortening that gap. Does Crown Hunt go after certain geographical areas first? Is there areas where people more, like there's more people with curly hair? Like what's your strategy there? Can you divulge that? Yeah, that's a great question. We've been national the entire time because we've been looking for those hot spots as we're early on. But we have seen hot spots in Denver, which is where we're based, New York, LA, Chicago, Atlanta. So the the metro areas, right? Mm-hmm. Like I I always think it's important to say this because it's very true and people don't if people don't understand it, they just don't understand us. And that is that curly hair is not specific to any particular ethnicity. They're curly hair across the spectrum of all ethnicities. However, there are certain ethnicities that have a much higher percentage. Right. Curly curly hair. Mm -hmm. Like black folks, like Latina folks. You know, there's there's populations that have much more higher percentages of curly hair, but it's throughout the entire population. That's how we get 65% of the country. Mm -hmm. So I think that people need to understand that bit. But regardless of that, there's all these people who collectively the entire population has been told that beauty and professionalism is straight hair. And that's a big point, too, because it could feel like, oh, culturally, if you're brown, you've always felt like you need to meet European standards and have straight hair. That's not false. But also, even people with fair complexion have felt with curly hair, have felt like they need to straighten their hair to be beautiful and to be accepted at work. And I think that's a big deal because I don't think most people understand that. Like on this journey, I have learned that I've had people come to me with super fair skin, you know, white women, whatever, have come to me and said, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you created this because I've never felt beautiful. I was the only person in my family that had curly hair and that nobody knew what to do with it. And they all felt like it was like, frustrating and I didn't put in a ponytail and blah, 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 blah. Like, so there is a lot of historical, you know, things that I don't want to ignore related to some of the brown folks with curly hair. But I just want to say this is an American story. Like every person with curly hair has felt like that wasn't, for whatever reason, accepted. And we've had a big shift. Like Crown didn't invent this shift. You know, I man, I would love to take credit for that, but we didn't. You know, the American people have decided, and I think 2020 was a huge part of it, but we have been building it towards it the whole time, that, you know, we're going to do what we're going to do. We're going to feel good in our skin. And we're going to 
accept ourselves and we're going to have a soft life and we're going to embrace our natural selves. And all of that has crescendoed into this moment where now we're having these conversations. I think it's beautiful. And, you know, the beauty industry is a huge industry. People are always going to get their hair done. I mean, yeah. I could be on my deathbed. I'm going to get my hair done. <laughs> These, are right? the These are the facts. Nobody's in a casket with their hair looking crazy. You're right. <laughs> it These is so very true. Now, I always thought that was because I'm from the South and, you know, <laughs> that's just I'm how from we city. are. I'm from Chicago. Ain't nobody in a, hair ca- in a casket with their hair looking crazy. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Right? <laughs> I literally would get my hair done on my deathbed. You know, and then I look at the amount of business opportunities that you know, you open up this door to being able to service this bigger population that we knew about with curly hair, right? That's way more business opportunities, revenue generation. But look at those five salons that didn't know how to do what they did. And that was just a small microcosm was what's out there. More marketing opportunities, more lead gen opportunities. I mean, to me, and I'm sure you've thought of this, but I look at all the like ancillary opportunities that this you know, connects to that, it's bigger than this 1 million. Absolutely. So one of the things that we're doing now is very new is partnering with product companies, hair product companies to give them additional channel to sell their products. And let me tell you a little bit about the background behind that. Cause like from a business case, oh, great. That sounds wonderful. But let me tell you like the actual story part of that, that is great. So traditionally salons make 15% of their revenue from selling hair care products. But when I say that, what's behind that stat is that the majority of those salons are white-owned. Why does that matter? Why is why am I saying that? For no reason to discriminate, but because what I'm saying is that those products that they're selling have been for straight hair. So they've been able to sell more of the, their products and that makes a viable business case for them. That's an additional revenue for them because most of their customers have straight hair. People who primarily serve curly hair customers, which are not exclusive to brown folks and black folks, but brown and black folks for sure serve a lot higher percentage of those customers that have curly hair, have not been able to do that, replicate that same business model. because those same companies that create those structures don't sell curly hair products. They literally don't have the products to sell to that market. So what Crown Hunt has done very recently is partner with product companies that sell curly and coily hair products, which has been a huge, there's been a huge increase of that in the last like five years or so, as again, the culture shifting, we've talked about all that. As that's happening, these companies are being created to partner with those companies to give them additional channel into uh, stylists and salons across the country to sell those products. So it's, it's twofold. One is helping these product companies create additional sales opportunities for themselves, potentially on their way to big tail retail companies like Target, but maybe not. Maybe they want to stay in this world. Uh, but it's also created this additional revenue stream for stylists and salons that were excluded from those revenue opportunities in the past. So that's one of the most recent things that we've been doing and we're really proud of that. I love it. Do you have any other things that are on the horizon? That's like the newest of the new, man. We just like literally launched that like yesterday. That's so cool. Okay. Where's Crown Hunt going? 
What are your predictions? What are your plans? And how do you see this transforming the beauty industry? The beauty industry is massive, you know, it's billions of dollars in revenue annually, like 40 billion between products, services, and education in terms of curly hair, because that's what I'm focused on. And, and so there's a huge market. But what I see as the big opportunity is the consumer experience. And we are starting with stylists. Why are we starting with stylists? Because stylists are the core of the consumer experience. They are the trusted advisor in hair. They are the ones who recommend everything related to hair. Yeah, we go to Target and we figure out our own stuff. But if the stylist says, hey, this is the thing you should get, period, we believe them. Okay. So I think that stylists are the core. Not only that, there are a very underserved population of entrepreneurs who happen to be wildly industrious, 93% female, 38% BIPOC. So they're a fantastic group of people to help advance their revenue opportunities. And the impact that that could make on our nation is really significant. So that's something that I've been passionate about solving. So our thing is about continuing to advance the economic opportunities for these stylists who deserve to be able to advance their careers, who deserve to be able to increase the revenue that they make because the industry is 40 billion and the average stylist makes less than $30,000 a year. So you just do the math. So (laughs) I'm like, this don't make no sense. Like let's how to make this make sense. I'm, I'm going over here. Cha-ching, cha-ching. Right. The math <laughs> is mathing, girl. So like, that's what we're trying to figure out. And again, the first thing was education. That's the foundation. People don't have the education that they need to even serve curls. So that's where we started. Second layer is in economic opportunity. So how can you add a revenue stream for yourself as a stylist to be able to sell these products that also meet the needs of your consumer? And then ultimately, our goal is to improve the consumer experience. We can do that by giving them products that that improve their experience. But but also, I think it's about just overall, the whole industry is so in need of putting the consumer first and to modernize the experience. Like it's a super old school industry, but there's no need for that. Like right. I think there's a lot of things that can happen. It's just that folks that come from tech, like myself, haven't focused on this industry as a place to innovate. And so that's where I'm hoping we can be really effective. And there's some other companies out there that are also uh, thinking about that. And we are excited to collaborate with those folks. I love it. I hope you're really able to like knock it out of the park with this too. Thank you. Yes, yes, absolutely. All right. So what do you do outside of Crown Hunt? Like what are your crazy passions? Oh, I love this question. So first of all, I'm a mom. I have a... uh, almost one-year-old daughter, 10-month-old now, and I have a five-year-old son, so I work my ass off (laughs) (laughs) parenting and living, and I have a husband, and like family life is a huge part of my life. Just like being an example, not just of like hard work, that's cool, but like of living. Do you have a fun thing you like to do with your family? Travel. I love I love to explore the world with my family. And then also outside of that, I love, I actually produce music and you're kidding me. Get out. I have music on Spotify and other things. My name is Huga Noir, which is Huga is like a Swedish word for like comfort and like aesthetic. I love it. And then Noir is black. So I'm like the 
the black aesthetically pleasing producer <laughs> basically <laughs> um uh so i'm on i'm on spotify and i got some stuff on there and and so music is like my total like outlet it's like what i do to just give myself joy and just relax and create and honestly i'm like a real creator like i create for fun and i create for work it's ridiculous but music is one of the things that i create that's exclusively for fun at least right now uh so yeah. family hair tech music travel and travel there you go that's awesome stephanie how do people get a hold of you we are on instagram and our instagram is popping at crown hunt my personal instagram so crown hunt's like hair inspiration stylist tips that kind of stuff my personal instagram is at stephanie laflora which is my last name and that is all about like uh making this life work as an entrepreneur who's figuring it out like i make no qualms about I'm, I, I keep it real. I keep it all the way real about like what this entrepreneur life is like and raising money and figuring it out with the team early on and like all the like mental psychological stuff that comes with that. So at Stephanie LaFleur is where you get the inspiration to keep going. That's essentially what that's for. What's the website for Crown Hunt? Crownhunt.io. Good. And then you and I met on LinkedIn, right? That's correct. Great. So people can get a hold of you there too. Yeah, yep. great. All right. So I know what your disruptive innovation is, your your fundamental ingredient. What is the last message you want to leave our listeners with? You can do anything. You really can do anything that you want to do. It won't be easy. And and also, and I want to say this, you are not the keeper of time. We love to think we can control time. We love to make spreadsheets and timelines and calendar dates and five-year goals and three-year goals and whatever. And that's cute. And that's ideal. You know, you should do it. It's a good exercise to do, but it does not have anything to do with your reality. It just helps you think, you know? (laughs) And so I just want to say, if anybody's listening and they're like, whoa, how do I do that? How do I get there? How do I... You know, you have a dream in your heart. You want to start something. You want to do something disruptive. Like doing something disruptive starts with disrupting yourself. Like, (laughs) amen. you got to disrupt your own patterns. You got to disrupt your own mental boundaries and just take chances that you wouldn't otherwise take. Why? Because you're alive. And what else is the point? That's beautiful. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie, thank you so much. I had so much fun today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from this show. And thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.